This is a Federal News Network podcast. Military service members get a housing stipend every month, depending on their rank, where they live, and their family situation. This coming year, the Defense Department is increasing its average basic allowance for housing, the BAH, by an unusually high percentage. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni joins me with the details. Scott, what is the basic housing allowance, and how much is it going to be going up in, in 2022? So the basic allowance for housing is a subsidy that's given to service members in order to help them pay for rent or pay for mortgage if they live off base. This is something that's been going on for quite a number of years now. Every year that average is increased and it's increased because of a change in the way the housing markets go or possibly because of the increases in utilities in a certain market area. So the increase that we're seeing this year is just an average of something to keep in mind. And this average is going up by 5.1%. It's quite a big jump considering the past couple of years and actually really going past to almost a decade has averaged just below 3% or less than that. So this year, the Defense Department is going to be spending about $25.6 billion for BAH or Basic Allowance for Housing in 2022. It's a really big jump. And, and just one last thing is that that range will be about 74 to $168 per month that service members will see as an increase. And one important thing to take into a note is that those allowances will not decrease even if your area is not one that is, is needs more money or needs more of a jump in that locality pay. Could be the reduction in administrative costs, trying to figure out every little tiny apartment complex in the country. It might be offset by just giving everyone the same increase in their BAH. And is this basically because rents are going up around the country? Is it because contracted housing has gone up? What's, what's behind this really big jump this year? Yeah, one of the things that the Defense Department does is it collects rental housing cost data annually for about 300 military housing areas in the United States. That includes Alaska and Hawaii. They take that median price, they take in utilities, they average it all together, and then come out with different profiles based on the dwelling type, the number of bedrooms, and then those BAA rates are calculated for pay grade, both with and without dependents. So part of the reason for the increase is because we've seen housing and rental prices just grow almost astronomically in 2021 and 2020. According to Redfin, which is a real estate brokerage firm, the median sales for housing prices increased 13.2% from October 2020 to 2021. And then if you look from 2019 to 2020, there was also an increase of 14%. Another thing to take into account is that the number of homes for sale went down nearly 18% and 44.3 of houses sold over listing price in the past year. So these are really just really expensive times right now for anyone trying to get a house. And as well, we've seen car prices go up and, and many other things due to supply chain issues. And similar <laughs> economic dislocations from the uh, from the pandemic, which I think had an odd effect on rents, because in some of the cities, some of the metropolitan areas, rents went down or were depressed relative to what they would have gone up by because of the pandemic. People couldn't pay rent and the government had to subsidize rent for a couple of trillion. And then now that it seems to be over, who knows, but rents are definitely jumping and making up for lost time. So that could be another reason that seeing this big jump for 2022. Possibly. And one of the things that we saw 
in 2021 is that the Defense Department took 56 areas and gave them an early BAH increase. And that was because there were so many service members having a lot of issues with paying their rent. Those were in areas where they saw a lot of increase in sales prices and in rental prices. And those were in cities like ones in Florida and Arizona, as well as Detroit, where we're seeing a lot of military bases and people moving to Florida, people moving to Arizona in the civilian world as well. So this BAH then covers pretty much everyone in uniform that doesn't get housing provided by DOD, such as in barracks or in officer housing that is owned by the bases. That's correct. Yes, it goes to everyone who's not on a base. If you are on a base, you're pretty much getting free housing, so you don't really need that stipend. What are some of the other issues service members are facing as we get to this end phase? I don't know, decay phase or, or whatever phase it is we're in of the pandemic. Yeah, well, one of the issues that they're dealing with right now is moving. Military members are going to new orders after getting their vaccine, and they're seeing that moving prices are going up as well. And that's because people in the civilian world are also moving to new areas, and the cost just really isn't the same. The Defense Department's taken a few different turns on this. One of the things they've done is promise to reimburse people by uh, pretty much 100% if they decide to take on the cost themselves. But, you know, the Defense Department's working on a new household goods contract, which is being protested again, once again, slowing down that centralization when it comes to taking in many different markets of moving companies and giving the service members a more solidified way of trying to move their goods. So they're going to have to wait for that. The supply chain for that is also much slower, and the, the workforce is down about 25%. So the prices are going up there as well. A lot of really big concerns for service members who need to move, and service members are the ones that need to move the most because they're going to new orders constantly every two years or, or so. That is one of the supply chain problems is truck drivers. And they cost more now because it's just tougher to attract people to that job. So that could affect the final costs of what the contracts they have. They could even have contracts with labor cost escalators. That's not unknown in times of inflation. You haven't lived through one, but when, when they did have inflation back in the 70s and so forth, that was a regular part of contracts is labor cost escalators. So we might see that yet, hard to tell. And just switching gears here, Scott, the Army's Integrated Visual Augmentation System, some funding issues there. What's going on with this kind of signature strategic offset-related type of program? Tell us what it is and what's going on. Right. Well, these are goggles that soldiers would wear. And what they do is kind of bring a Terminator sort of situation to uh, soldiers. They can look out of these goggles and maybe see night vision or see something on a map. They could uh, see targets. It's really a, an AI and integrated augmented reality focused uh, program that will help with situational awareness. The Army's program executive office soldier announced in October that they'd be delaying this 200 that they would be delaying this $22 billion augmented reality goggle program. And that has a lot of people concerned. This is something that uh, Congress has been excited for. They think that it's something that really the Defense Department needs. The military, as we've talked about many times, is focusing more on near-peer competition. And therefore, they need these goggles in, in order to counter China and Russia. What the Congress has done in this newest NDAA is fence off funding at 75%. So the Army will only get 75% of its funding until it delivers Congress a new report. 
This report needs to come within two months of the passage of the bill, so very soon. And what they want them to do is look at quite a few different things. They want a timeline of how they're going to be doing things. They want to ensure that the system will display the position and identification of the information that we were just talking about. Uh, They want critical milestones. They want uh, lessons that they've learned in developing the the testing and operational analysis of things. So a lot of information that the Army is going to need to provide Congress before they can get that 100% funding that they'll need to really push this program forward over the finish line. Sounds like Congress is behind the program and believes that it could have value, but they are unsure of the military's commitment to being able to deliver it on time and with the capabilities they're promising. Yeah, this program has had uh, quite a few issues in the past. Uh, They've had a a Defense Department Inspector General report looking into it, uh, saying that they're going to start this that on October 4th, which they already have. And uh, this is one, well, as we said, it's a $22 billion program. It's not a small amount of money that the Defense Department has invested in this. And so they're expecting something good out of it. And as the continuing resolution rolls on now till at least February and who knows how long, is there enough of the program going that it could continue in the calendar year, even if there is not a full year appropriation? Yeah, this is a pretty established contract. This is something they've been working on for quite a few years. So they're definitely going to be able to to work on it. And what they're doing, they've been working with Microsoft's HoloLens technology to do this. So it's a company that is well-established, working with the Defense Department, and something that's been working in the civilian world as well. They're just trying to adapt it more for the Defense Department. Well, they better hurry up. You think of some of these programs aimed at near-peer competition. By the time they get done, it'll be peer competition. (laughs) Well, we'll have to see. The Defense Department is uh, trying to catch up with hypersonics and many other different technologies. So they'll be doing that in 2022 and 2023 and the years beyond. I guess the administration would call that speed at the speed of need, need at the speed of speed. Federal News Network, Scott Massioni, thanks so much. Thank you. Check out all of his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, 
I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to to spend an assignment 
with uh, with backup and and guidance like that. What what great great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <laughs> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.